This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. A guest speaker is featured on this message. Well, this morning, uh, I want to take a moment to introduce uh, our preacher. We have a guest preacher today. He will not be a guest for many of you um, because... Uh, he just spoke at our youth retreats. This is Ricky Alcantar. He spoke Friday night and Saturday as we were away on a youth retreat. Uh, just got back yesterday. So um, many of you heard him there. He just did an outstanding job. I know that can sound cliche, but this really was. Uh, he, he spoke about the power of God. He spoke about the power of God for our journey. He spoke about our destination, our eternal destination, the end of our journey, and how that informs how we live today. And it was just uh, penetrating uh, teaching that I think uh, from the young people that I talked to, uh, they were very affected by what he had to say. So he is uh, just really glad to have him here uh, preaching to us this morning. In the early uh, 90s, there was a really sorry TV show called Doogie Hauser, and uh, it was about a 14-year-old kid that was a physician. And I kind of think of Ricky as Doogie Hauser. He's like this pastoral protege, protege, and uh, he's, he's like this 14-year-old guy that is leading an entire church super effectively, powerfully. Uh, he is a young guy, but he is very, very experienced uh, because he's led the church there for two years, and he's led the church through um, challenging times. And so what matures us as individuals or what matures us as leaders is walking through difficulty. What ma- grows us in godliness is walking through difficulty. And so I've, I've watched Ricky and been able to work alongside him to some degree uh, as he has led the Sovereign Grace Church in El Paso, uh, as he's led them um, through a really transforming time in their church life. And I've watched him trust God, and I've watched him lead by faith, and I've watched him, um, I've watched him lead with joy in difficult times. And I have deeply respected you for the way you've led, Ricky. We had him speak at our small group leaders conference to all the small group leaders about leading with joy because you have led through difficulty with joy. And so you're a great example uh, to me. And uh, I, I, I respect you. I look up to you, Ricky, in many ways for the ways that you are uh, that you are leading. And it's just a joy that you'd come out for the whole weekend to be with us and teach us God's word. Uh, we're going to be sending an outreach team to serve their church this summer of high school and college students. So uh, you've probably heard about that if you're in that age category. But wanted to let you know that as well as he comes and speaks this morning, that we're wanting to send some folks out, uh, some troops to uh, strengthen them in their outreach ministries uh, this summer. So, Ricky, thanks for your heart for the Lord. Thanks for submitting yourself to the Lord humbly so that you have wisdom uh, beyond your years. Thanks for walking through and gaining experience and difficulty and uh, thanks for your love for God's word and his people. So why don't you come? Let's welcome Ricky as he comes to speak to us this morning. Man, well, it is a huge, huge privilege to be with you today, Grace Church. Um, It's a privilege to be here because of our partnership in the gospel. And uh, we 
Several years ago when this church was planted, our church sent a family out to be part of what God was doing here. And it's been amazing to see since then what God has done through you from that beginning a few years ago. And since then, we've had other folks who have relocated for job reasons out here that have joined the church. And their report is that, that this is a thriving church that loves the gospel. You've cared for our folks, and we appreciate that. And we're so excited to see what God is doing through you. And I want to thank you, too, for, you may not even be aware of this, but the investment that you guys have made into our church. Um, last couple of small group leaders conferences that you've hosted, you've released your people to just, you know, do a ton of administrative work on. Those have seriously blessed and encouraged our guys. Um, you guys have released Craig over the last year to do some great leadership training and equipping with our, with our leaders, and that's been huge. And now I'm really excited about this partnership uh, coming together in the fact that you guys are sending a team out this summer uh, to serve our church in our area. We are, it's funny, we're in Texas, but it seems like we're in totally different worlds culturally. And I'm so excited, though, that, that you guys would uh, be able to cross cultures, cross hours and hours of drive or a, a, a flight out and invest in our church. And we're grateful for that. So thank you. On behalf of the saints at Cross of Grace, thank you for your partnership in the gospel. Uh, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 40 this morning. Isaiah chapter 40. And as Craig mentioned, uh, these last couple of years for us have been an interesting time, and specifically toward the end of last year, our church was uh, in the middle of a strange season. I don't know if you can relate to this, but a st- season where God was really doing stuff. We had seen him do amazing things. We'd done outreaches we'd never done before. We'd seen people saved when we hadn't seen people saved in several years at our church. God was obviously at work, but we were also in an unusual season of suffering. Uh, many folks in our body who found themselves sick uh, with serious illness, you know what these times are like where you're waiting on lab results, you're waiting for that email, waiting for that text to hear what happened to that person. Uh, many folks that year specifically had left town to take jobs in other cities just because of the economy in El Paso and our church structures and ministries and leaders and things were changing and it was all good things and everyone in the church was saying, this is good, God's at work, but it was tiring, <laughs> In many ways. And so we had a visiting pastor that was coming in to preach, and we were talking about what he should preach on a given Sunday. And, you know, he was a wise guy, an experienced guy, and he said this You know what? I don't think you guys need another message on what to do. I think you guys need a message on who God is. And our team took that and prayed about that, and we actually paused what we were going to do and spent several weeks in Isaiah talking about who God is, not more about what we need to do, but about who God is. And our tendency is we want to know what to do in every area of life, isn't it? We, we want to know what to do in our personal lives or in our marriage or with our kids or in the church or at our job or in our career. We want to know what to do. And so we come to the Lord saying, Lord, tell me what to do. And sometimes the Lord's answer is strange. And he says, I want you to pause and learn more about who I am. In the passage we're going to look at today, God tells his people who are in a very difficult place to do something completely counterintuitive to us as Americans. He says, stop and behold your God. So our church took several weeks and paused and beheld God. And I I want to do that today, even just for a few minutes with you. I want us to pause and behold the Lord. So let's look at Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. And this is the word of the Lord. 
Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. A voice cries, in the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill shall be made low and the uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord is spoken. A voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass and all beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold your God. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms and he will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Let's pray. Father, I pray that in these few moments together, as we consider your word, you would allow us to behold you. Lord, our circumstances loom large in our minds as we come in on Sunday morning. Circumstances in our, in our personal lives or families or church or jobs or extended families. God, these circumstances loom large in our mind. But God, I pray that this morning you would loom far larger. God, as we Lift our eyes to behold who you are. May the effect be trust and faith and belief. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, to understand this passage, we have to understand a little bit about God's people during this time. These people who are hearing this word were, were not in the sunny part of life. They were battered and bruised and beat up and... Um, it was this section of Isaiah 40 was written long before the time Israel was going to be captured in Israel. But this passage was meant for the people later to read when they were exiles. And so these people who were exiled far from their country, their country's been destroyed. They would have clung to these words. They would have remembered their cities burning, their families being torn apart. And they would have longed for their nation to be restored. And they would have looked to these words for comfort, to, to give them something to hold on to. They were disappointed, they were hurt, they were broken, and maybe you can relate to that this morning. What I want to do this morning is more of a thematic look at this passage than maybe a straight exposition. Look at some of the themes in here, and I want to look at three themes that, that, that really are a longing in our heart, and then look at how beholding the Lord affects that longing in our heart. So three longings in our hearts and how the, seeing the Lord changes our perspective of those things. And so the first longing I want to look at is our longing for comfort. The verse this section begins with the Lord saying, comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem 
that her warfare, and cry to her that her warfare is ended. And at the time of this exile, these people would have just lost a war. And this war would have been the result of their own disobedience and their sin against God. And so for almost 40 chapters of Isaiah, there's judgment being poured out on the people. The just punishment for their sin, this is not as if God is just punishing them for no reason. No, they had sinned grievously and the Lord was pronouncing the right judgment for their sins. But here the tone shifts to comfort. Comfort. Where, where do you long for comfort? What are the areas in your life that are difficult that you, you, you think, man, I, I could apply this there. I, I need comfort here. Here is where my life is hard. I want you to meet my friend Jordan. A few years ago, I was taking classes with Jordan and he was a young parent and he received word that one of his very young sons, this was actually, I remember, over the holidays, getting an email right before the holidays that his, and he emailed all, a, a bunch of us and said they'd gone to the hospital and the hospital had sent them after they saw the results down to another hospital, to I think it was NIH in D.C., because there were some test results, and so they're wondering what's going on, and so they did more tests, and so there's more doctors, and there's more people, and they're wondering all along what's going on, and finally, one of the doctors sat down with them and explained to them that their two-year-old son had leukemia, and it was incredibly hard for them, and changed their holiday season. And all of a sudden, when things had seemed to be going well and things had seemed like they didn't need comfort, some, some circumstance inserted itself and they needed comfort desperately. Maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe all of a sudden you were sailing along in life and something out of left field has come and hit you and you're in a place that you never thought you would be. Here's the question that I want to ask this morning. We all need comfort in some area of our life, but where do you go for that comfort? See, when, when these circumstances hit us, we always have to go somewhere. We go somewhere instinctively. Maybe if a, a friend leaves, we, we, we're saddened and we're hurt and we demand the Lord give us a new friend to comfort us. Lord, send somebody else just like them. Maybe your job is insecure and you need comfort and so you get on monster.com and you look at job listings to comfort yourself. Maybe you've had a stressful day just a normal stressful day and you need some comfort and so that pint of Ben and Jerry's that you had been saving for the weekend suddenly looks, and maybe we'll do that tonight. Maybe pint's not enough. I'm going to go get a gallon. This passage speaks to our need as human beings for comfort in the hard places of life, but it it points us somewhere counterintuitive. It it doesn't point us to, you know, I'm going to fix your circumstances. Instead, it points us outside of our circumstances. It points us upward to find our comfort in a surprising place in beholding God. Here it says that God has pardoned the sins of his people, and that's the basis of comfort. And we're going to return to that a little bit later. But I just want to ask the question, is it possible that in your life, where you need comfort, you have this comfort you haven't found because you've looked for it in the wrong place. Have you turned to the wrong place for the comfort you need? That's one longing. Well, let's look at a second longing here, our longing for glory. Verse three says, 
that a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight that in the desert a highway for our God. And it talks about valleys lifted up and hills being flattened. And verse five says that the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now remember who, who, who would have received this passage. It would have been the people in exile. And, and they were a people for whom God had removed his glory from their midst. The part of their judgment was this temple where the, the, the glory of the Lord was supposed to rest, it was actually removed. That the glory of Israel, what their nation was centered on, was the glory of God and that had left them. And so they would have longed for this. This would have been, oh my gosh, the thing that we had longed for for decades. It's going to come back. They long to be this people united around the Lord again. They long for their reputation to be restored among the nations. They didn't want to be a conquered people. They wanted to be a proud people, a people that had a great nation that other people would look to. Now, all of us in some way long for glory. We all chase glory somewhere. Maybe it's the glory of a stellar career. Maybe it's the glory of raising kids who are simultaneously good-looking and well-adjusted and straight-A academic triathletes who all get basketball scholarships somehow. You're like, that's going to be my kid. The, 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 the simultaneous academic athletic scholarship attendee. That's, that's what I'm looking for. Maybe you're looking for your glory there. Maybe it's the glory of just having a nice vacation every year. Maybe it's the glory of um, doing great in your, in your sports league, what, whatever it is. Where, where are you looking for that glory in? Or maybe, maybe you long for glory in the church or in a ministry. Maybe these longings are good. Maybe you long to see people getting saved every week. Maybe you long for your corner of the church to explode in fruitfulness. Maybe, maybe you long for these things. Maybe there are things for your church that you long for, to see God do through you. I want you to meet my friend Glenn, who I met last year. I met him taking another a pastor's training class with some other pastors. I think uh, it was an Acts 29 training class, and some, so a bunch of pastors from different denominations were there. And at the time, he was pastoring a small independent church that he'd taken over after a rough, rough kind of season in its history. And I loved Glenn, because he was a guy, he was an older guy, and he's in his 50s, one of the oldest students there, and he... Um, he longed to see God do amazing things in his city. He longed for it. He longed to see God do amazing things in his church. And yet, every month when we'd get together, it was tough. The church was struggling. He was struggling. And yet there was this burning desire that I want to see, see God do something great. I want to see it, a glorious church, a glorious ministry. Maybe you can relate to that. Maybe there's some area of your life that you're longing for this. But God points the people to glory not in themselves or in their own nation. He doesn't, he doesn't primarily emphasize, hey, I'm going to bring the glory back to your nation and you're going to be great again and everyone's going to look to you and you're going to be restored and you're going to be powerful and you're going to be all these things. No, he points them a totally different place to see their glory fulfilled. That glory that they long for, he points them upward to see it fulfilled in the Lord. And the third longing we're going to look at is our longing for something lasting. Verses 6 through 8 talk about 
Uh, the fact that all flesh is like grass and all its beauty is like the flower of the field and the grass withers and the flower fades and people are like grass. See, the Lord reminds these people that the best among them are just like grass. It's cut one week, it's gone the next. Season to season, it changes over. New grass and new flowers come and this is the way it is with us as human beings. Think of this. How many of you know the, the name, this is going to be an easy one. Raise your hand if you know the name of your grandfather and what he did for a living. Okay, great. Raise your hand if you know the name of your great-grandfather and what he did for a living. Okay, a little bit fewer. Raise your hand if you know the name of your great-great-grandfather and what he did for a living. Maybe one? Anybody great-great-great-grandfather? See, I think for all of us, we, we, we forget how quickly we are really like grass. Like, you think, if anybody you should know, everybody's history you should know, it should be your own families, and you should definitely know your whole line. And yet, maybe I know some of the names of my great-great-grandfathers. I don't know exactly what they did. I don't know what their hopes and dreams were. I don't know where they lived. I don't know who they married exactly. I don't know what the names of all of their kids were. And it's like grass. We seem so powerful and yet viewed from just a a century perspective, we're like grass. And maybe you're feeling this. Maybe you're feeling your life like grass lately. Maybe they've been transitions in your circle of friends or maybe transitions in your church or transitions in your job. And it just feels like everything's shifting all the time. And that creates in us a longing to see something that will actually last, something that we can actually count on in life, doesn't it? But what do you look for? Where do you look for something that will last? You know, my parents have had a unique ministry in our church, so I want you to meet them. My dad served as a bivocational member of our pastoral team for like 20 years. And one of his unique callings is to help and support the pastors and leaders in the church. And in an unusual way, it seems as though every few years, the people that my parents have plugged into with the most and supported the most, maybe leaders, maybe pastors in the church, loved and, and grown to be their best friends, within a few years, they've sent them out somewhere. They've sent folks and, and pastors and leaders out to, to Mexico, some of their best friends, to, to Canada, to, to, to Arizona, to Florida. Just every few years, they would form these wonderful relationships and then serve these folks and then send them out. And I'm sure, I've talked to my parents over the years, they felt this. They felt, man, I just wish something, we could hold on to something that would last. Maybe you're feeling that. So where do you turn for that? The Lord instructs us to turn to him. Now, here's where I want to make a, a shift in the message. I want, we've looked at kind of from, from a human perspective, but there's a turn in verse 9. So let's look at that together. There's a turn in verse 9, and, and, and it's this. He says, Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength. O Jerusalem, herald of good news, lift it up. Fear not. So he's saying, I want you as a, as a herald to get up on the highest mountain you can find and shout this to everybody. Everybody in Israel needs to hear this. Everybody in your church needs to hear this. Here's what they need to hear in the midst of their longings for comfort and for glory and for permanence. Here's what you need to hear. It's counterintuitive, church. It's this. Behold your your God. See, our impulse is to, in the middle of these things, is to delve deeper into our circumstances 
to fix things, to try to find something that's going to last or something that's going to fulfill our longing for glory, something that's going to fix, give us comfort. We, we worry over things. We get anxious over things. We delve ever deeper into our own circumstances instead of looking up and beholding. I remember one vacation. This is a, this is a lifelong struggle for me. One vacation, we were um, we were visiting Jen's family uh, out in the northeast in the Cape Cod area. It was beautiful. Jen's, uh, Jen's, we were staying with Jen's grandma and uh, my wife Jen's grandma and uh, Jen's mom was there. So it was a kind of a big family vacation and I was on the way to pastor's college and so we had just um, arrived and we were looking at our budget and setting it up. And during the vacation, I realized that I miscalculated part of our budget for the whole year we were going to be at the pastor's college, which is like a big deal because I'm not going to be making any money while I'm going to school. So this was a significant miscalculation. And so my tendency in moments like that was to do this. I, we had all these plans that day for what we were going to do and go to the beach and the family is there. And I just kiboshed the whole thing and was like, we're going to work on the budget. <laughs> my wife is, God bless you, she's making appeals like, I, I, I don't, you know, my mom's here, my grand, we're sitting with my grandmother, I mean, do we really want to do this? And, and so I really, I mean, I thought the solution to this problem is that I delve deeper into my circumstances and fix this and then I'll be okay. And isn't that sometimes our tendency? When there's a problem, there's a difficult circumstances, when we need comfort, when we're, the glory we're long for isn't happening, when, when we, everything seems to be shifting and, and fading around us, we want to delve into the circumstances and find some way to fix it and then we'll be okay. But friends, what that is, is we're looking to the circumstances in our lives to provide what only God can provide. See, we, we are excellent at beholding as Christians. We are excellent at beholding and we default to, to being excellent at beholding our circumstances. We, we walk up to the edge of our circumstances and we will stare at them for hours, won't we? <laughs> if our, there's job uncertainty, oh man, we're, we're all of a sudden, we're reading uh, all the news we can find about the job market and what sectors are hot and trying to find a solution. And now look, I want you to hear this. It's not bad to look for practical solutions, but there's an order in this passage. And, and in this passage, the priority is that we first behold the God over our circumstances before beholding our circumstances. And that makes all the difference. And God says we are to be experts at beholding the God over our circumstances. So let me just ask you, what are you beholding today? What have you walked in? What have you woken up today beholding? Which circumstances do you have constantly in front of you? Is it, is it one of your kids that they're going through some difficult times and you're wondering how to parent them through? Is it, is it your marriage that, that things haven't been the same with your spouse and so you're just running that over and over in your head? Maybe it's something going on in the church or your corner of the church and your ministry and you're trying to figure out what to do to fix it. Maybe you're even a leader in the church trying to figure out what to do to fix this and, and you're beholding all of these circumstances and here is what I want you to do. I want you to pause, give yourself the freedom to pause all of that and for these moments, behold the Lord. Look at verse 10 with me. This is a command. And by the way, church, this is a command to the people of God. This isn't like an optional thing. Like if you feel like beholding the Lord, then yeah, go ahead and do that. No, this is a command to us. Feel it like a command. Verse 10, behold 
the Lord comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. And so let's Let's look at these three aspects that we looked at before. Let's look at how a perspective of God changes these. First, let's behold the God of comfort. We're going to go a little bit out of order, but behold the God of comfort. It says that he will tend his flock like a shepherd. Now, the verse started with God giving comfort, speaking comfort to his people. Well, where does that comfort come from? It comes from this shepherd, this shepherd God. And the images of this shepherd who is not domineering, who's not running behind the sheep, smacking them in the behind, they're trying to get them to move. No, it's, it's a shepherd who, who stops for a lamb that's stuck in the bushes, stuck in the mud. He, in his clean clothes, wades into the mud, extricates the lamb from the mud, soils himself in the process. Cuts himself in the process. He, he, it says that he takes care of the most vulnerable parts of the flock. He goes right to those people and helps them. Now look, as we've seen, as we're going to see, this is a powerful God. This is an infinite God. But listen, church, his power and might are exercised with tenderness toward us. Isn't that a comfort? We have this great, glorious, amazing God that can just seem esoteric and far away, and yet he exercises all of that in tenderness toward us. And we we see this most clearly in the face of Jesus Christ. If you wonder, what what does this look like? What does it look like for the Lord to be a shepherd? Jesus says in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And you see this in the life of Jesus as he moves not away from the vulnerable, the hurting, the broken. He moves toward those folks. Those are the people for whom he stops. Those are the people he stops and heals and helps and serves and lays his life down for. And he, he also fulfills as the good shepherd what is said in verse 2. In verse 2, there's a promise that God's people have received payment or have paid for their sins. Now, In this context, it refers to the fact that God's people have endured God's discipline of judgment, that their punishment was over. But in Scripture, we know that that that's not sufficient for sin. That sin doesn't just demand a small period of punishment. It demands the infinite wrath of God because it's a sin against God. And so we know from Scripture that 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 was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. When Jesus Christ, as the Good Shepherd, in tenderness, laid his life down on the cross for his sheep, endured mockery, endured beatings, endured crucifixion, endured the whip, endured even more than all that, the wrath of God poured out against him for our sins, this verse is fully and ultimately fulfilled that he surely has paid double for all of our sins. Friends, the the pardon of God and the pardon of Jesus Christ are the basis of all our comfort. Friends, so many times in our life, we don't understand how, wh- how and why God is behind these circumstances. But we do know one thing, that God is so committed to caring for us that he sent his son to lay down his very life for us. And that gives us ultimate comfort. You know, over that year, I watched my friend Jordan, whose son had leukemia. I, watched, I walked through the year with him and 
He wrote worship songs. He played on the worship team. And, you know, in a situation like that, it could be easy to stop, stop singing about what Jesus has done, wouldn't it? To just see, okay, all these songs about Jesus' blood and what he's done, they just seem so distant from the circumstances of my life. But in fact, what I saw him do is he, he pressed in. And those words about the comfort and the pardon of Jesus Christ, they anchored him in his family through those years. Knowing that if God would send his own son to die for them, he would surely care for them now meant all the difference to this family. And by God's grace, I just saw a note from him that they just celebrated an end of chemo party for their son after two or three years of chemo. See, God bore them through that, and now they're rejoicing in him. Friends, where are you looking for your comfort? Is it in your circumstances, or is it in the Lord? Second, behold the God of comfort, but behold the God of glory. We see that in verses 3 through 5, there is a great king. These verses are actually applied later to John the Baptist and what he's done. But in, in this context, these verses are about a great king, a coming king. And these verses would have been familiar because when, a, when a, a king from one of the surrounding nations would come through the town, everything would make way for them. In our day, it's sort of like a presidential motorcade that comes through and it shuts down the streets, right? They shut the city down. All the lights are green. The president gets no red lights, right? I mean, this is a motorcade. This is a president coming through. Everything shuts down. The freeway shut down. He's on his way through. In, in this day, it would have been even more elaborate where the king would come through. Any possible hindrance to the king coming into the city, that's removed. I'm sorry, it appears your house is in the way. The king really wanted to enter this section of the town. We're going to be destroying your house and giving you some money to build another one. I mean, that's really like the kind of atmosphere that this is talking about. But, but God is saying, you know what? I'm not just talking about moving some houses around, moving some shops around. I'm flattening hills that happen to be in the way. I'm raising up valleys that happen to be in the way. Creation itself is making a path for this king that's coming. And the glory of this king. See, this is the God of, of glory that we long for. There's something in our hearts that longs for this kind of glory because we were wired for it. But we were wired to find our fulfillment of seeing glory in God. And we see this again and again also in the faith of Jesus Christ. We, we get glimpses of it when Jesus is on the earth. Don't you, don't you love these glimpses in the Gospels where you, you get just a taste of how glorious Jesus is? Like in the transfiguration where all of a sudden those disciples have been used to seeing Jesus as just a normal man and he goes up and all of a sudden his face is shining like the sun. Everything's dazzling white and all of a sudden there's Moses there. There's, there I mean, there's, what, what in the world is going on? You get this taste of the glory of Jesus Christ. But we get another glimpse in places like Revelation 1. You want to see the glory of God? Read Revelation 1 because you see Jesus who is not a, 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 a bathrobe wearing sort of nice alternative medicine teacher, Jesus, speaks softly, has kind of very, a lot of product in his hair. No, you see it. You see Jesus coming. And this description of him is that he's glorious. He's shining. His eyes are flames of fire. His voice is like the roar of many waters. That's the king that's described in this passage in Isaiah. See, when that Jesus walks through town, the, the hills fall down. 
And that glory, oh, church, our hearts should long for that glory. We are meant to long for that glory. And that glory, friends, changes our perspective of our circumstances because it frees us from looking for glory in our circumstances to looking for glory in the face of Jesus Christ. Here's an example of this. My friend Glenn, who led that that small church, this year I, I heard from him that he'd made the difficult decision to close his church down. Because in the area, they had found another strong Bible-preaching, gospel-loving church in the area that was thriving. He got to know the pastors and he said, you know what? I think God's doing something here. And I think he's calling our church to join him. And so... He stood in front of his church and said, I think the thing that would bring God the most glory is if we ended this church but joined this other church for the glory of Jesus Christ. See, he was a man that was not obsessed with the glory of his own church or the glory of his own ministry, but he was obsessed with glory. He was obsessed with the glory of God. And you know what's amazing about that? What's amazing about that is actually the church made the decision to invest all of their assets somewhere. They, they were looking for a place to invest their, all of their stuff, their sound equipment and everything for the glory of God so that the name of Jesus could be proclaimed. And so he asked, does anybody know of anybody that needs a bunch, like basically a whole church of stuff? So I said, well, I, I have a friend named John who's happened to be planting a church in Austin. I put him in touch with John and... By God's grace, what worked out is that Glenn donated all of his church's assets to John and the church plant that's going into Austin. And he wrote a letter to the church planting team that just, I mean, it really brought tears to my eyes as John described it. And I could just sense that this man, he was holding on to glory, but he was holding on to the glory of God, that he wanted the name of Jesus to be proclaimed everywhere. And it didn't matter if it was through him or through his church, he just wanted it proclaimed. See, that, that kind of glory, beholding the glory of Jesus Christ and longing and working for that glory changes the perspective of our situation, doesn't it? So where are you longing for glory? Are you demanding that it's in your circumstances or in the way that you want to see glory fulfilled? Or are you content to, to, to allow God to exalt himself and bring glory to his name? And last and very briefly, I want us to behold the God of lasting worth. We long for something that lasts, but this, this God is of lasting worth. And in those verses about grass fading and flowers fading, it ends with this. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. There's going to be no change to the word of the Lord. It's fixed, it's firm, it will stand. And, and it relates to verse 10, where there's this little verse that seems strange. It says that, behold, his reward is with him and his recompense is before him. Now, that can seem strange, but what it, what it means is that God is, is, when he comes as this glorious king, he does two things. He, he brings rewards to all that deserve them that have been unrewarded, and he brings justice to all of the evil that had gone un, seemingly unpunished. 
So this great king comes and it seems like grass is fading and things are fading and it just seems like chaos. But when the king comes, all of the things that happened in secret that seemed unrewarded and seemed like what happened to that, it just, it just vanished in smoke. No, he says, no, that lasted. And here's a reward. And all the things that sometimes even seem impressive, they fade away. It means that God himself at the end of history is the one person who holds lasting worth. It's almost like a, it was, we as Texans get this, it's like a sheriff who rides into town that's been taken over by a group of outlaws and he sees, this sheriff sees that the evil bandits are punished. He sees that they return the money back to the bank with interest, that they repair Miss Sally May's fence, that they destroyed in the night of drunkenness and that they fully restore everything, and then he restores and, 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 and rewards all the townspeople that did good. It's a silly illustration, but I think you get the point. It's that, that everything is made right in the end, and everything that is done for Christ lasts, and everything that's not done for Christ blows away. See, in this life that passes so quickly, we want something that will last. We should long for something that will last, but only God can give us what lasts eternally. In eternity, he will set right every wrong and he will make every investment in his purposes stand. And Jesus exhorts us to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven, not down here on earth where moth and rust can destroy or the stock market can tank or your job future can suddenly change or your health can change or your church can change. Not not in those things, but in the purposes of God, that will change last. See, in our church, as as I mentioned earlier, my parents have had this ministry of just caring for and loving and sending people out. And so recently, this dear family that's been in our church, that they were leaders in our church and even more than them, but this family specifically, my parents had become close to, they'd love, they've served, and we just sent them out. Sometimes I wonder, why do my parents keep doing this, investing in these people, and then they're just watching them go? And I made the connection this week that my dad, he, he, there's an interesting topic that he loves to study. Just one of his personal pet projects of study is heaven. Every new book that comes out on heaven from a solid source, he loves, he buys, he reads, he devours, and he hands out to people. And I made the connection that this week that the reason that my parents can over and over invest in things when they think, okay, is this going to last? Is that they're not investing to see themselves personally fulfilled. And they're not looking for something that's going to give them lasting worth in this life, but they're looking ahead to their investments, fruits in Mexico and Canada and Arizona and Florida that, that people would know Jesus and that the work of Jesus building his church would go forward. So we see our circumstances, but when we see the God above our circumstances, it changes the way we see our circumstances. And so I have a very, very, very simple application. Maybe you're thinking, okay, so, okay, that was great. That was interesting. It's kind of an interesting passage. What do I do now? What am I supposed to do in light of beholding God? Tell me what to do. Give me a few steps of what to do. Here's what you do. You behold the Lord and that leads you to trust the Lord. See, God does call us to fix things, to change things in our lives and our families and our churches and all those things. And that, that comes. But the first thing we're meant to do is to behold the Lord and trust the Lord. 
See, these people that, that were in exile, that they needed more than they needed a plan from the Lord. Like, here exactly is how I'm going to work all this out. They needed to behold the Lord and trust the Lord in the midst of their circumstances. And so that's what I believe God is calling us to do. And it seems too obvious, doesn't it? It's just like, that's the application. Just trust, trust the Lord. Yes. <laughs> yes, it is. So what would it look like for you to behold God today, this week, this month? And behold God and spend far more time beholding the Lord than beholding your circumstances. What would that look like? Think about spending time with him in his word. Get with the Lord. Behold him in his word where you see him. Encounter him. And allow that vision of God to overwhelm your circumstances every morning. Can you imagine heading out into the day with this mountain of circumstances that you think, this is a knot I cannot untie, but you go to the Lord and you behold him, behold the God over your circumstances. you imagine how that would change your daily perspective? Behold the Lord during prayer. I was convicted this week that, you know what? When, many times when I get before the Lord in prayer, you know what I do first? I, I bring the Lord my task list. Does anybody else do this? Or is it just me? Okay, it's just me. I, I bring the Lord my, my task list. Okay, Lord, uh, Lord, you're great and wonderful and things like that. But uh, I need you to fix this person. Uh, I have this problem in my family. Uh, help me to figure out something to do with my backyard fence problem. Help me to do, figure out something in, in this part of the church. And it just becomes a, a task, like a meeting, like an agenda meeting with the Lord. <laughs> you know what I'm convicted of this week? That, that when I get with the Lord in prayer and communion, I don't spend enough time beholding him before I ask for anything. So what would it look like to change your prayer this week, to, to spend far more time when you see these, these challenges, to behold the Lord in the areas that you need to, to spend time exalting him. Lord, you're glorious. Lord, you're powerful. Lord, you're sovereign. Lord, we know that you are loving because of what you've done on the cross. And think about how that would change your prayer. Behold him as a family. What a healthy practice for, for parents to lead their families in a practice of beholding God together. When there's a challenge in the family, especially. And friends, let me just encourage you to behold him as a church. As, as we build churches, as we plant churches, as we do the work of the ministry, there can be this temptation to, to always be looking for the next plan, the next thing. What, what are we going to do about this? What's this decision coming up? What's going to happen? Friends, do not neglect to behold him first. To gather Sunday after Sunday and in your small groups and lift high a vision of God that is over all your circumstances to the point that you cannot help but trust him. He is worthy of your trust. And let's pray. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.